Shall we pray? Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for the prospect of your kingdom coming more and more among us, even today. Uh, We so love your presence. We so enjoy worshipping you and hearing from you, uh, being challenged by you. Uh, God, we want to open ourselves even now, right at the very outset, whatever you have in your heart for us today, we want to embrace it. We want to encounter more of you. Uh, We say, let your word be rife amongst us. Uh, Let your spirit have free reign in our lives. Do you draw even more worship from our hearts, even as we go through the day? Uh, God, we say, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come more and more. Amen. Well, it's a bit of a novel experience to me, uh, just preaching the once. I was chatting with Steve at the beginning. He suggested maybe I just repeat this talk three times here, uh, just to make it more normal for me. But that would be very strange for you. So we will just do it uh, the once. Uh, I wonder if you've uh, ever had the experience of regretting a missed opportunity. Uh, I don't know, maybe you've ignored some opportunity that came up uh, and later on, with hindsight, wished you hadn't. Well, it's a little while ago now, uh, in fact, 19 years ago, uh, I can still remember it like it was yesterday, uh, but a friend of mine uh, called me up out of the blue uh, and asked uh, whether I'd like to spend the day with him the last Saturday in May, the May bank holiday weekend, uh, 1995. And now, I'd just been chatting with Helen at the time, uh, we were dating back then, uh, and I had just agreed to help Helen out uh, with a carnival float that she was organising for the church she was part of uh, at the time. And so, uh, out of love and commitment to Helen and this carnival float, uh, I said to my friend, no, sorry, uh, I've got other plans for that day. Uh, just to have interest, what were you thinking of? He goes, oh, it's a real shame you can't make it. Um, I've got uh, two tickets for the Royal Box at Wembley uh, for the playoff final between Reading and Bolton. Uh, One of those tickets had your name on it. In fact, not only that, um, I'd also arranged for you to travel with Reading, the, the, the team, on their team coach to the game. Uh, shame you can't make it. I'm sure I can find someone else who would be interested. Uh, which I thought, well, I can't backtrack. I mean, I already said I can't do it. I can't change my mind now. And I had given my word to Helen. So uh, I didn't go to the football match. Uh, if truth be told, it was with a very heavy heart that I traipsed around Alton uh, behind this pretty drab carnival float. <laughs> Uh, my heart was elsewhere, uh, obviously with Helen, but uh, elsewhere as well. Now, uh, I wonder whether you've ever had an opportunity to do something that, with hindsight, you wish you'd accepted, whether it's a job offer, uh, an invitation to a party, a holiday, uh, a relationship. Uh, I guess we've probably all got stories of some opportunity that we have missed at some point in our lives. Well, in Luke chapter 13, the passage we're going to be camping out in today, Jesus compares relationship with God to a fantastic opportunity that many people, and perhaps sadly, some people here in this room right now will spend forever wishing that they're taken up. He says that friendship with God is such a remarkable, phenomenal opportunity, but tragically, many people who ignore it will spend eternity regretting it. Let's pick up what Jesus says in verse 22. 
In fact, we'll get a bit of the backdrop before we hear Jesus' words. Verse 22, Luke 13. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem, as he made his way to the place where he knew he was going to die to pay for the sins of the world, resolutely setting out towards Jerusalem, teaching in towns and villages as he went. Verse 23, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Now, just to explain, the reason for this particular question is an argument that was rumbling on in the background between some of the Jewish religious leaders who were trying all the time to discredit Jesus. That they were looking forward to the promised coming Messiah. They were expecting some kind of cataclysmic, giant, global event that would overthrow the whole Roman Empire and establish the kingdom of God, his rule and reign forever. And really, all they saw Jesus doing was healing crippled old ladies on Sabbaths and traveling around the countryside with, let's face it, a pretty ramshackled bunch of followers. And so they're saying, he can't be the Messiah. I mean, look how small and insignificant it all is. And Jesus responds to this in the preceding verses, in verses 18 to 21, by likening his kingdom to a mustard seed and a bit of yeast. Really the point is that although the kingdom starts out looking deceptively weak and unimportant, really that is not the end of the story. It is going to grow, it's going to spread, it's going to expand until it spans the whole earth, providing shelter for people from every tongue, every tribe, every nation. It's like there is a real inevitability to all of this. No one can prevent the advance of the kingdom. Now, of course, from our vantage point, right here, right now, this side of history, we can look back and see this happening. The Bible tells us that after Jesus' death and resurrection, he throws out this command. All authority has been given to me I now give it to you. Go into Jerusalem, Judea, all the earth, make disciples of all nations. He gives the great command, the great commission. Now the church at that point totaled probably a bit fewer than are in the room right now, 120 people. Then the Holy Spirit falls on them. The church grows by 3,000 in just a day. A mere 300 years later, Historians, secular historians, estimate there are between 31 and 34 million Christians in the Roman Empire. That's over 50% of Rome's population. You're talking from India to England, 60 million people, over half of them Christians. And it just keeps on going. It just doesn't stop. As we speak right now, Christianity is absolutely exploding in parts of Asia, particularly in parts of India and China. It's also increasing at staggering levels in parts of Africa and South America. So much so, it's been calculated or estimated that there are more believers alive today than in every other generation put together. And so Jesus says, Here's how the kingdom is going to work. It's going to start out as a tiny seed, but it is going to grow and grow 
and grow and grow. But the people listening to this struggled to grasp what on earth Jesus was talking about. Was the kingdom going to be small or was it going to be big? Were many going to be saved or was it just going to be a few? We can perhaps find ourselves asking similar questions today. We can have such a narrow, localized view of what's going on that we miss the vast scope of God's kingdom advance going on all around us. We can look, can't we, at what's happening just in our own city with the whole Trojan horse controversy, or on a global scale right now with events in Mosul and eastern Ukraine. And it can seem like the church doesn't stand much of a chance on a personal level. It can be a real battle, can't it, to live out our faith in the workplace and with our friends. The whole undercurrent in our society seems to be away from God, not towards Him. And for our kids at school, it can be particularly tough. It's like none of their friends have any interest at all in Jesus. It it can be pretty lonely as a Christian at times. Incidentally, it's why uh, events like New Day, which is just coming to an end this morning uh, over in Norfolk, uh, our young people, or a lot of them are there right now, uh, is why events like New Day are just brilliant. Uh, You you get uh, in excess of 6,000 teenagers from around the country passionately worshipping Jesus. It's a massive encouragement. Even now, Jesus' teaching on the kingdom brings us hope and it involves a call for us to trust him because God still hasn't completed his kingdom plans. History shows uh, the kingdom growing in pretty extraordinary ways but it's not here yet in all of its fullness. And so as we Look at this city uh, and all the challenges that it presents to us. As our attempts to perhaps share Jesus with the people around us are so often greeted with indifference and ambivalence, we can perhaps be tempted to ask, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Jesus wants us to have a much bigger view of the kingdom. Whenever the sick are healed, the kingdom extends. As good news is brought to the poor, so the kingdom of God is expressed. As justice goes into situations of injustice, so the the kingdom of God is growing. Wherever God's obeyed, His kingdom comes. In the face, even now, of tremendous opposition, the gospel is still spreading. Signs and wonders still powerfully demonstrate the power of His kingdom. The church will keep growing. People from every tongue, every tribe, every nation will turn to Jesus. And then He will return to claim a glorious bride. Uh, And we will live together with Him uh, in a new heaven and a new earth where His kingdom will be fully realized, His rule and His reign and the joy and the delight of that for all eternity might appear smaller than we'd like right now, but God's kingdom cannot be stopped. It cannot be thwarted. It it is going to be a whole lot bigger than you think. Now, that should encourage us. But only if we are a part 
of God's kingdom. And so Jesus doesn't allow us just to get swept along on a wave of euphoria and triumphalism. Instead, brings a challenge to each of us, lest we assume we are in the kingdom when actually we're not. And what he does is liken relationship with God to being in a feast with God. He likens it to a massive banquet. And he says there's a door that you have to go through in order to enter the banquet. As we read on, we're going to see he says three things about this door. First of all, in verses 24 and 25, he tells us that there's a door that will one day be closed. He said to them, verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. So there's a door that will one day be closed. Now the fantastic news is there is a door. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, this door is open. It's possible for all of us to go through and enjoy relationship with God. In other words, there's a way to go in, know God, not only now, but to spend forever with Him. It, it, it is an incredible opportunity. But Jesus says it's a narrow door. Well, which I think it means you, you don't just go through this door by accident. You don't just kind of wander in and not realize. It's narrow. And so it's difficult to find. You, you need to put in some effort. And you, you can't go through carrying all the baggage you want. You, you need to leave everything behind if you want to pass through. And more than that, Jesus adds, it will be closed one day. And then the opportunity to enter will have passed it will be too late. You know, we can live with this view that when we get older, suddenly we'll have way more time. But increasingly, I'm finding, and some of the older people in the room like me are finding, chuckling even as I say that, it's a myth that there's never going to be a time when life isn't busy, when there isn't stuff going on that will pull our attention this way and that way. Jesus says, there's a door that's open, but if you keep putting it off, it is increasingly a dangerous game to play. One day, it will end up closed to you. There's a very real urgency here. That's the first thing. Second thing that Jesus says is that there'll be many who are unable to enter. Verse 25, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you'll say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he'll reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. It's like, when people realize what it's like inside and that the door is shut, they are desperately going to want to get in. Everyone's going to wish that they were on the other side of the door. And Jesus is saying, at that point, pleading isn't going to work. 
away from me. Let me try and explain this. Because I think a lot of people in our culture don't get it. I mean, you might be sitting there right now thinking, well, this sounds a bit harsh. Uh, It sounds ever so slightly offensive. I want you to imagine a couple of teachers moving to Birmingham. Uh, And funnily enough, they've both got jobs starting here in Lawswood Girls' School uh, in the autumn. They, They need somewhere to live. Uh, and so they look in the Birmingham Mail and they find this advert. Mansion, eight reception rooms, six ensuite bedrooms, gym, indoor swimming pool, set in two acres of land in Edgebaston, £25 per calendar month. Now, they think it's something of a misprint. Uh, in fact, most people do, so they don't bother following it up. But uh, they think, oh, we'll give it a go. They, they phone the contact number just in case. And sure enough, it's genuine. That, that the house belongs to a Russian billionaire. Uh, he's out of the country for a couple of years. Uh, he doesn't need the money, but just wants someone to look after the house for him while he's away. So he offers the house to the two teachers. And he says, all I want you to do is stay in touch with me. Just, just keep me informed while I'm away. And whatever you do, enjoy the place. Now, not wanting to miss this opportunity of a lifetime, the two teachers move in. Mark takes the east wing. Russ, the west wing. Now, if truth be told, Mark is a bit of a party animal. Uh, and pretty soon, uh, all of his mates are in the mansion too. There's vomit on the walls cigarette butts on the carpets, places absolutely trashed. And everyone's thinking that when the owner comes back, he's going to chuck Mark out on his ear. (laughs) But over in the West Wing, things are very different. Russ, you see, is very smartly turned out, goes to bed in a suit, polishes the brass daily, manicures the lawn with a pair of scissors every weekend. He is the model tenant. He's so polite and impeccably behaved. Everyone thinks, well, when the owner returns, uh, he's going to be given the run of the whole place. Anyway, the end of his time away, the owner returns and kicks them both out. Now, no one's surprised by the guys guys trash the place. I mean, uh, he had it coming to him. But everyone was pretty indignant for Russ that he was being shown the door. I mean, what on earth has he done wrong? But to anyone who bothered to ask, the owner explained, although they both behaved differently, they treated me exactly the same. I know that one of them made a a mess of the place uh, and the other was very, very tidy, but neither of them bothered to stay in touch with me. It's like every time I contacted them, they didn't respond. They totally shut me out, totally ignored me. It's as though my kindness to them didn't matter at all. They treated me as though I didn't exist. I must think I'm an idiot. They certainly treated me like that. So I'm afraid there's no room for either of them. Now, tell that story. Because I think there is a danger that we could perhaps treat God the same. Some of us, 
we, we absolutely trash our lives. There, there's wreckage everywhere. And if we're being honest, we, we know that if things go as they should, we're in trouble with God for the way we've treated others, for the way we've treated Him. We, we, we don't need anyone to tell us. We, we, we know we're in trouble. Others of us struggle to think what God could possibly have against us. I'm saying we, we live in His world we enjoy all the privileges He gives us, but most of the time we treat Him as if He isn't there. We ignore Him. We just wish He would stay out of our way. We, we, we think we'd run the place better ourselves. We take from Him, but we live for all intents and purposes as though He doesn't really exist. And if we spend our whole lives doing that, Really, we can't complain if at the end God turns around and says to us, look, I've given you all of this in your life, but you've chosen to live without me. And so I'm afraid that's how it's going to be for eternity, away from me. That's what Jesus is saying will happen to those who haven't gone through the narrow door. They'll plead with him, they say, we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. In other words, we are socially familiar with you. We, we went to plenty of church meetings. We heard a whole load of good to mediocre sermons. We loved your book. But Jesus will say, I never really knew you. We were never friends, were we? Okay, let me try and illustrate this for you. Since moving to Birmingham 18 years ago, uh, I've developed an increasing love for cricket. On many a sunny summer's evening, you'll find me at Edgebaston Cricket Ground watching Warwickshire. Now, a couple of months back, uh, I happened to be just out in the foyer there on a Sunday evening, collecting Nathan and Joel from Emerge, the, the church youth group. Uh, I got chatting with one of the other parents who I hadn't seen before, uh, and it turned out that he is the physio for Warwickshire Cricket Club. Uh, and when he found out about my interest in cricket, I mean, I was very quick to tell him about my interest uh, in cricket, uh, he said that next time I was at the ground, uh, he'd show me around behind the scenes if I was interested. Uh, I was interested. I took his mobile number. Uh, I didn't want to appear too keen, so I left it a few days. Then I texted him, I'm here, show me around. Uh, and sure enough, he was true to his word. That is great. There was a game going on. He took me around behind the scenes. I went into the changing rooms. Joel was with me. Got Joel's photograph taken in Ian Bell's space, uh, which will mean something to some, nothing to others. Um, uh, and then wandered uh, out into the area where all the players were. Uh, and uh, who should walk in at that moment but Jonathan Trott, which again will mean something to some, nothing to others, judging by the blank expressions. But for me, I recognised him straight away, uh, and I was introduced uh, by uh, the, the physio to Jonathan Trott, and I was chatting with him, and uh, just saying, I hope things go well for him, and he's been out of the game for a little while, and hope he comes back soon, and uh, how much I enjoy his batting, and I was really embarrassing myself, but, uh, <laughs> but at the time, it felt great. Anyway, uh, uh, he then uh, left uh, and uh, I went off uh, and did other things. Two weeks later, uh, I happened to be in the car park at Edgebaston Cricket Ground. Well, who should walk towards me but Jonathan Trott? And uh, I went up to him, Jonathan, great to see you. He went, huh? And, and just walked by, kind of completely blanked me. <laughs> there is a big difference between friendship and just familiarity. 
And Jesus is saying, a lot of people are going to plead, let me into heaven, I'm really familiar with you. And Jesus is going to say, I'm sorry, we're not friends. Just imagine for a moment that, that, that Jesus walked through those doors right there, right now. He started going up to people in the room, greeting them, greeting all of his friends. Comes up to you. What do you think he would say to you? Do you know him? Or do you just know about him? Jesus is warning us here that there'll be many who are familiar with him and will try to enter, but they will be unable to get in. And he gives this pretty sobering warning in advance because he doesn't want it to be us. He doesn't want us to live with the regret of a missed opportunity. The door is open right now. He doesn't want us to miss it. Now, some of you are probably thinking, do you really think it is wise to make people doubt their salvation? Isn't that a bit harsh? A little unpastoral? Is this wise? Absolutely it is. I mean, what is the loving thing to do in response to this passage? To pretend it's not there? To talk with you about being good people and that'll be enough probably in the end. To make out, it'll all work out fine, I'm sure. Or to let the text read us. To allow it to challenge, to confront, to convict us. You're going, well, that's all very well, but how do I know where I stand then? How do I work it out for me? How do I know whether I'm in or out? Well, I know it's a struggle at times, but there are evidences. Like, there is a desire to live for God. There's this desire in us to want to know Him better. As we look inside us, there is a love for Him and a hatred for the sin in our lives at times. It's like, as we see the trajectory of our lives... We see that over time, no, we're not perfect, but we are changing gradually to become more like Him. There's fruit, there's evidence. We're trying to submit to His Word, submitting to what He says, His will for our lives. There's worship in us at some level. Prayer is a reality in our life. I'm not saying that you wake up at 5 a.m. every morning spend the first three hours of your day in serious intercession. But at the very least, there is this awareness, God, I need you. There's this, God, I'm relying on you here. I'm trusting you here. Do you know him? Or do you just know about him? Because Jesus says there are many will be unable to enter. And then thirdly, this is even more sobering, Jesus says there'll be anguish for those left outside. Verse 28, there'll be weeping there 
and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. Now listen, Jesus, I think, is saying these frightening things because He loves us, because He wants the best for us. He he doesn't want anybody to be left outside. He wants us all to be on the inside. That's why He is heading to Jerusalem here. That is why He died, to open the door. But because He loves us, He warns us, look, it will be dreadful to be left outside. Trust me, you don't want that to happen to you. You you don't want that sense of lingering regret. Why didn't I do something while I had the chance? You, You don't want to miss the opportunity. He says, you'll see Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the prophets in the kingdom of God. In other words, no surprises there. All of his friends are going to be present. He goes on, verse 29, people will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. In other words, that the door is narrow, but the invitation is phenomenally wide. It's another insight into the spread of God's kingdom. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Verse 30, indeed, there are those who are last who will be first and first who will be last. Jesus is talking about the great reversal. There'll be loads of people who had very little in this life, who are fully aware of their need for God, that the wreckage there is in their lives, the mess they've made of stuff, and they turn to Him, and they find forgiveness, they find mercy, they find grace, they find freedom, they find joy and peace. Uh, They find meaning, life-changing, transforming relationship with God. All of those people will be there. But plenty of people who are perhaps successful in this life will be left outside. Not because they were successful, but because they didn't think they needed Him. How tragic if that person on the outside is you. I want to plead with you. Please, don't be too busy. Don't be too intellectually smart. Don't be too proud or smug. Don't be too affluent. Don't be too self-righteous. Don't be apathetic or complacent and fail to just go through the door. Don't criticize the door. Don't critique the door. Don't just stand there staring at the door. Don't go searching for another door. Don't walk away from the door. Instead, run to Jesus. Run through the narrow door. Jesus says in verse 24, make every effort to enter through the narrow door. That's the language of an athlete who's running and passionate and compelled and zealous. There's this sense of urgency running not just through this text, but the passages we've been looking at the last couple of months. Don't miss it. Run! 
some of you. It's like you're presuming on the grace of God. Some of you are assuming that because you're familiar with God, you will be okay. Please, run through the door that God has opened for you. Run through the door that even now God is offering to you. Run by faith from your sin through Jesus to eternal life that begins right now, enjoying Him in the here and now. Run into His kingdom. Enjoy His rule and reign in your life today. Enjoy relationship with Him. All the things we've been talking about, it's not just a a promise of heaven one day and that's what we're responding to. No, the offer is Jesus now and He's better than everything else. Run to Him. Make every effort. Get to know Him now while you can. Don't leave it to the last minute. And then finally, it's too late. Don't spend eternity in anguish, regretting all those missed opportunities. Why didn't I do something about it while I had the chance? Make every effort. I mean, why on earth wouldn't you? Why would you want to stay outside? Right now, it's as though Jesus is saying, come on in. Please get to know me. Don't miss out. To some of us, he's saying, you mustn't feel excluded. You mustn't disqualify yourself. Regardless of your past, this is for you. Jesus is saying, I've opened the door for you. To others, he's going, it's been so long. I've missed you. Where have you been? Don't stay away any longer. But it's your decision. I'll try to do all that I can. More importantly, Jesus has done everything that can be done. Nothing more needs to be done. Now it's your decision. What will you do? The narrow door is open right now. And the decision is yours. I want to invite you to stand if you would. And before we move on, I, I just want to give you time and space to consider your response. Because it does demand a response. Where are you in relation to the door? Where do you stand in relation to Jesus? Familiar or friends? I don't say these words to to condemn anyone. I I don't want to unnecessarily put fear in anyone's mind or heart. It's more an appeal to run to Him today. And you don't need to be fearful. You you don't need to be anxious about where I stand. No, you you can run to Him today and know His embrace. You, You can be sure, assured of His love, His affection for you. Run to Him. That's where you are. I'm just going to leave it for a few moments, just in your mind, you pray your response. Could be for the first time, Jesus, I turn to you. 
could be you, you, you think you know him, but you're not quite sure. <laughs> Jesus, I'm making sure today, I'm running to you. Maybe you know, yeah, you, you do know him, but you've just been away from him for a while, for whatever reason. Don't miss this opportunity, Jesus, running back to you. Casting aside everything else, running to you. Just you, in your mind, pray your response to him right now.